Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. It's The Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you for making us part of your day. We're going to talk to Sam Amick coming up here momentarily from The Athletic. Usually uh, we hear from Sam on Thursdays, but uh, we're moving him up to Monday today, Gordon. One, because... Uh, our boy Chris Mannix had a bit of a conflict, so he's going to join us tomorrow, I believe. And Sam is headed for Orlando on Thursday. How about that? That's right. He's been telling us about that and anticipating it. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that'll be fun to hear from Sam what his experience down there is like. In fact, Gordon, he's ready to roll, so let's waste no more time. Let's get right to it. Go ahead, Alex. All right. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. All right, your daily assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com or call 801-747-LEES. Out to the T-Mobile special guest line we go. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability from The Athletic. He's our friend Sam Amick. What's going on, Sam? Happy Monday. Happy Monday, guys. A little change of pace for us. Thanks for having me. Hey, we want to dive in uh, to the Jazz, of course, but I've got to ask you this question because you're preparing to go down to Orlando on Thursday, and I've discovered in in there are two types of Packers in this world, and I'm one and my wife's the other. There's the type of Packer that, uh, that plans uh, for hours and packs for days beforehand, and then there's the type that throws it together 15 minutes before they have to be at the airport. Which are you? <laughs> uh, I am probably closer to the latter, but thankfully <laughs> – was at least smart enough to marry somebody who is more the former. So my wife helps out. And this one in particular, you know, this trip is so unique that I don't think you want to be throwing a bag together at the last minute. You know, it's going to be seven weeks total, uh, including seven days of quarantine where, you know, you want to think long and hard about the types of items that you want with you uh, to, to kind of make, you know, pass the time a little bit easier. So, It'll be a fairly you know, calculated, planned-out packing job, I think. I think you should just take a bunch of clothes you don't care about anymore and just burn them after you're done with them, right, before you enter your house again. <laughs> I'm just, first of all, hoping that they let me back in the house when I come back, and then, you know, and then i got to wait and see how long they make me quarantine when I get home. So, yeah, it'll be something for sure. So, Sam, we've always considered you uh, just one of the top reporters around and writers, just do terrific work. But my question to you is, are you as good a reporter and writer as Donovan Mitchell is, basketball player? I don't think I have that on my best day, guys. Um, man, you know, I, I I feel for him. This is, you know, you don't typically uh, watch a game and then, and then have, like, this yearning to, like, just <clears throat> somehow – give the guy a hug and tell him good job, but geez, like 57 points at a loss is rough. And it was fun to watch and he was just incredible. And it's, it's hard because as entertaining as it was, you know, give the nuggets credit because they just, they had plenty of firepower themselves and Jamal Murray was fantastic. It's like, you know, unfortunately for the jazz, 
it just, you know, even with that incredible performance, all it did was confirm what everybody thought going in, which is that Jazz just don't have enough firepower. And that's just about as good as they can do on that front, given the fact that they don't have a Mike Conley or a Bojan Bogdanovic. But, uh, but even their best wasn't good enough offensively. So, you know, that's, that, that certainly could wind up being a uh, kind of an indicator of the series and where it's going to go. Well, and Donovan said after the game, Sam, that it was frustrating that they had to take the ball out of the net on every possession, you know, kind of hinting at they need to get some stops. And with it, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic as good as those two are playing together, and the Jazz, let's face it, they're small, and unlike other Jazz teams, they don't have that defensive bite. Can they get stops when it matters against the Nuggets? I mean, it didn't look like it today. I haven't broken down their numbers in Orlando in general, so I don't know how they sized up on that front. I mean, you get, you know, you fixate on Rudy Gobert's greatness on that, and he had some pretty incredible moments in that game in terms of, and I tweeted about one of them, just his ability to, you know, a couple of years ago he was such a liability on the perimeter. You just had to pull it out, and he had the big giraffe legs, and he'd be on stilts, and he'd be in trouble, and you'd have kind of a free run at the rim. Well, those days are over. He can chase you a little bit. And, and, you know, recover and get back. And he had a couple plays where it was multiple efforts still blocking the shot when it seemed like he had bitten for a pump fake and things like that. But, yeah, once you get outside of Rudy, <clears throat> it's tough. You know, I'm my colleague at The Athletic, uh, John Hollinger, had tweeted something about uh, that last sequence with Jamal Murray where he, he was able to get the best of Joe Ingles and just kind of asking, like, why was Royce O'Neal not guarding Jamal in that play, but it's, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not the same jazz team it was before defensively, which is counterintuitive with Rudy in the middle. And, and honestly, I think that's, what's going to cost Rudy the defensive player of the year award. is just the fact that the jazz were uh, middle of the road defensively as a squad all season. And, and certainly even worse than that today. Sam, they kind of leave Rudy in a tough spot because there are guys getting beat off the dribble, and their men position for a shot. Rudy tries to step up and help, and then they, that player can either shoot it or can drop it off to a player. The point is that Rudy Gobert can't be everywhere. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's, you know, I mean, Joel Embiid is living a little bit of that existence right now um, with Ben Simmons out. With Philly, you've got a, a defensively dominant big that, He's probably going to learn the hard way that, you know, he can't do it by himself. And, you know, it's, and you got, I mean, Donovan, as great as he is, you know, he's, he's not a guy that's going to show up on the NBA's all defense team anytime soon, I don't think. And, and even Joe Ingles, who's, you know, Joe's scrappy as hell, but, um, you know, but in terms of lateral speed and sheer athleticism and the type of stuff that keeps you in any possession, uh, you know, he, he makes the most of, of, you know, what he has. But he's, he's fighting that uphill battle of, you know, the guys, just these are the best scorers on the planet, and it's tough to slow them down. And with Denver, it's troubling for the Jazz when you look at the fact that Michael Porter Jr. cooled off, but you got a little bit of a glimpse of that firepower that he's been showing off recently. And then you start considering Jokic and Murray, and, you know, if Gary Harris is able to come back, that'd be another defender to throw at Donovan because, you know, they're not going to let him get off for 57 every time out. So I think it's just going to be a really hard series for Utah to survive. 
especially with uh, Mike Conley and and I think you know the Jazz, the 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 players, the coaching staff made it absolutely clear that they Mike is where he needs to be. But what a you know this this whole situation, Sam, is so bizarre with the bubble and everything. But you know here Mike. You know, maybe family planning, that sort of thing. Plans, you know, they have a baby in the off season in August, and, whoa, this is going to work out really well. Who knew that this was going to be in the middle of the first August playoff series ever? And it just, to, you know, with the quarantine coming back for four days, it's just a, a challenge that really nobody could see coming. Yep. And that is where, you know, going into the bubble, there was that whole discussion about, is, and we've even had it on the show, is like, is it going to be, you know, is there going to be an asterisk on the champion? And um, I don't think it should be that, but it is. It's going to be put kind of in its own chapter in the history books. It's incredibly unique. Even some of the stuff, you know, I actually just did our podcast on this, talking about guys like Russell Westbrook, who were barely even making it part of the story that he dealt with COVID-19, that he was tested positive and even had symptoms. And, and so here he is trying to get back. He has a quad injury on top of that. But, you know, whether it's Russ or, or the many other guys that have dealt with COVID or in Mike's case, Mike Conley, it's, it's a life thing that the timing is completely different from what it should be. It's, it's an unprecedented landscape with more uncertainty for the coaches and the players and the GMs than they've probably ever faced in terms of all these moving parts and, and unexpected circumstances. And, uh, you know, that's just inevitably going to impact what actually happens on the floor. Sam, do us a favor. Do your best to break down Jokic's game. He He's so multifaceted. You look at him, you're not overly impressed. But, man, he, he can do a lot of things. Yeah, he's fun to watch. I mean, for one, he's in great shape now. He dropped weight throughout a lot of the season before the shutdown. If you compare the pictures of him – in training camp, compared to now, it's like night and day. Um, but he's still got enough heft that you know he can show off that footwork in the paint and be a post player that is, is going to draw the double team and always you know find that guy with that beautiful pocket pass and play the interior game, or he'll just stand up top and run the offense from the elbow. Uh, honestly, uh, like Vlade Divac style, um, you know the old Kings player who obviously stepped down as GM this week. But like Vlade was just a master at, at uh, and just being a, a tactician offensively as a passer. I mean, he, Jokic reminds me of he's definitely a Vlade style passer, but with potential to give you 30 points, you know, maybe even 40 on his best nights on any given night. He can shoot the ball. He can find his way internally. Um, just a hell of a player. And his chemistry with Jamal Murray, in particular, was kind of on on display late in that game, where. You know, you look up and all of a sudden, I don't know how many years it is now, but this group, like they have playoff experience that should finally serve them well in, in this postseason. They've been together for a minute. You know, they've resisted the urge the Nuggets front office has to to make different trades that might have taken them, you know, sped up their timeline. Kevin Love comes to mind. You know, there was a time when Denver could have gotten Kevin Love from Cleveland and they chose not to do that because it would have cost them part of their young core. So Jokic is the guy they're building around, and and I think with good reason because he's pretty special. Sam, I think uh, all four playoff series in the West are going to be awesome in their own way. What's your go-to series in the East? What's going to be the best series over there? Um, Good question. I mean, Boston-Philly, which is going on right now, 
will be fun because of the, um, you know, without Ben Simmons and with a bunch of scrappy Celtics wings that are just A-level competitors. And, and then a guy who's a legitimate star in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who's a star in his own right. You know, that squad is good. Now they lack size, and that's where the series is going to be fun. In fact, you know, in real time as we're sitting here talking, they were basically neck and neck after the first quarter. <laughs> and I think you're going to get a lot of that. I mean, I, that series to me is, is also fun because the stakes are fairly high for both sides. You know, Brett Brown's job security has been in question for it feels like years now. And even with the Simmons injury, it's like if they bow out in the first round, what does that mean for Brett? You know, what does that mean? Elton Brand, their GM, has got to decide is Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid the core you go with going forward. Um, and then on the Celtic side, you know, incredible coaching with Brad Stevens. And then, you know, a bunch of guys that, that kind of when Kyrie Irving was there felt like they couldn't blossom. And, and all in all, they've done pretty well without him. So um, if I had to pick one, it'd probably be that one. I think it'll be a fun series. Sam, uh, unless news broke when I wasn't paying attention, uh, do you know who's going to uh, end up coaching the Chicago Bulls in the place of Jim Boylan? I do not. It's a good question. Um, you know, Arturis Carnesivis, uh, their new GM, comes from the Nuggets. He, he worked with Tim Conley and his front office and was part of that group that built this core that we're talking about. And, you know, he, uh, I, you know, I, I do think you can glean a little bit from the fact that he waited so long to fire Jim. He was not only getting to know Jim and trying to, you know, read that room and decide if he wanted Jim to be the coach, but I was told that there was certainly kind of a, it was a stall tactic because, some of the coaches that he's got interest in are still in the playoffs. And so, you know, from there, uh, you know, is it a Steven Silas type in Dallas? Is it a uh, Ime Udoka type in Philly? Um, I think there's a lot of coaches that, I mean, Ty Lu certainly, uh, you know, who's available already. But, you know, Ty is going to be a hot name. Jason Kidd is coaching with the Lakers. Uh, those are the names you're hearing right now and then. You know, and this is, I definitely don't think, a Chicago thing, but yeah, I still think Mike D'Antoni ultimately will leave Houston uh, if I was handicapping that one. So the coaching carousel is going to be spinning pretty good when this comes to an end. And, and uh, I mean, I got to think that in Chicago with that group, you know, you want a young coach who's got good chops who can grow with that young core. But I, I don't really know who's the leader of the pack there. Sam, thanks for jumping on with us. It's a pleasure to talk to you on a Monday, and uh, have safe travels down there. Can't wait to uh, get the, the firsthand experience from you next week. You got it. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. Thank you, Sam. Back at you. That's our friend Sam Amick from The Athletic. Always a highlight. Uh, always interesting uh, to listen to as well. How about that little nugget he dropped right there? And I I know he's probably not the only one saying this, but doesn't expect Antonio to be back in Houston, so maybe he'll be in play for some of these other jobs. He, uh, They did not sign him to an extension last year, Gordon, and this is the last year of his deal. And we've seen this happen in the NBA enough to know that if you're in the last year of your deal, the likelihood of you being back is certainly low. Well, it's just kind of weird because I tell you, teams could do a lot worse than uh, than Tony. You know, he's more creative. This this run in Houston has made me think he's more creative of a coach than I thought. You know, I yeah. thought he kind of ran that 
Phoenix, up-tempo, you know, it made him unique, almost European style. And it, that's not what they run in Houston. I mean, they, they give the ball to James Harden and let him go to work. That's what they do. And then when they got a player like Russell Westbrook, who's not a stretch player, as has become so popular in the NBA, and he's a go-to-the-basket type of guy, and he's totally adjusted what the team does to to fit his uh, to fit his roster. Right? Um, his team still don't play any defense, Gordon. But I give him a lot of credit for his coaching job at Houston is is better than people think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I think he's a he's a good coach, uh, but. You know, things sometimes, emotions wear on people or circumstances wear on them. And uh, for whatever reason, there's no real legitimate or substantial reason for things splitting up. But uh, if that's the way the owner feels, if that's the way the coach feels, then uh, it's pretty tough to put it back together again. Now, I don't uh, make a habit of disagreeing with our daily assist guest because that usually means I'm wrong. But Sam uh, talked about how this is what we expected and the Jazz were outgunned. I don't know if I'm 100% buying into that. I mean, Donovan brought plenty of uh, uh, ammunition to the game, so to speak. I mean, 57 points. The Jazz scored 125 points. Yeah. I thought getting stops, and maybe this is this is so splitting hairs, right? It but I thought is. I thought that getting stops was their biggest problem this afternoon, mm-hmm. and and maybe they were outgunned in the overtime. I I certainly would listen to that argument a little more. They were outscored twenty to ten, and Jamal Murray had ten on his own. I mean, mm-hmm. he he lit them up in the overtime. But I I thought the I thought the bigger issue tonight wasn't their lack of ability to put points on the board, but it was their lack of ability to deal with Jamal Murray down the stretch. Jamal and yeah. Jokic, as we've talked about. So I don't yeah. know if I quite come along with him on that one. I agree. You can say it depends on how you think outgunned is. I mean, the Jazz couldn't keep up with them. Uh, so maybe I think you are splitting hairs a little bit. But you're right. Uh, that is not their primary difficulty right now. Well, and if, it's if, weird, oh, it's sorry, weird saying that about a Jazz team who in the past the defense has been their their calling card. However, even in past seasons, there have been times when the perimeter players have been susceptible to giving up a lot of points, you know. Well, what do you think so, about 115 points at the end of regulation? Should that be enough? Now I'm kind of doubting myself. Maybe 115 points isn't enough. In, in the past, I would have said you you put if the Jazz score, like last year or even two years ago, if you would have told me the Jazz scored 115 points, I would have said odds on win right there. But maybe that's not enough. I, I, my, my immediate inclination is to think it is enough. Mine too. But now I'm kind of second guessing because you know they've got Rudy, who's really good at defense, and they've got Royce, but they don't really have any other defenders on the team. I mean, not that play. You know, Jawan Morgan was great today. I, I don't mean to discount him. Forgive me for doing that. But they don't. You know, they're not a strong defensive club. They're not. Especially when you're going to count on heavy minutes from Jordan Clarkson, who was a defensive liability, in my opinion. Or George Niang. And, George and Niang, love so George, and, yeah. but he played 20 minutes. That's that's 20 minutes of the of the other team going right at him on every possession. Mm-hmm. And, and Clarkson played 39 minutes, and you're right. I mean, Clarkson, is he's not out there to defend anybody, and he doesn't pretend like he is. It would be nice if he pretended a little bit. By the way, I thought of another of our defensive guys who do just enough on offense to make them useful. Marcus Smart is another one of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. How about Patrick Beverly? Patrick Beverly's another one of those. Okay. 
Well, maybe we can compile a thorough list by the end of the show, but I still contend that there really aren't that many of them. Well, I mean, playing defense, like you said, uh, usually doesn't get you paid like playing offense. What was Jabari Parker's comment about that? They don't pay me to play defense. Is, did he say it that frankly? I can't remember I, exactly I, I how the – I can't remember how that quote went, but I remember you raised an eyebrow like, okay, yeah, you're probably speaking the truth, but maybe you shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, – that's uh, that probably runs in the opposite direction of what some coaches want to hear. That's for sure. But I agree with you. The Jazz have to find solutions for that perimeter shooting. And I know it's difficult when you have a big like Jokic who can pass and deliver the ball the way he can. But they, you know that's that's not that's not <laughs> what am I going to do about that? The Jazz have to find a way to when. Let me say it this way: When Donovan Mitchell scores fifty-seven points, the Jazz should win. Yeah, he I know you can say, well, wait a minute. The, the, I mean, the Nuggets scored 54% of their three-pointers. How often is that going to happen? Probably not that often. But, I mean, what Donovan Mitchell did today was historic. I think that's the word you used. That's a good word. He's, he's the, <laughs> there are only two other players who have scored more points in a single playoff game than Donovan Mitchell did today. And the Jazz lost. That's why total points is sometimes a misleading stat. You remember when Kobe scored 80 and they uh, the Lakers barely beat just a horrendous Toronto team? That was a heck of a performance, though. I know, but you you, all, you often forget that the other team was terrible that year. <laughs> <laughs> and they beat them in overtime. And we talked about Jordan's uh, 63 uh, against the Celtics back in 86, and that came in a loss, so... I, I'm I'm not but I'm not but, uh, disagreying with you necessarily, but sometimes but what, uh, what substantiates the effort on the part of Donovan Mitchell is the efficiency he had in that game. He was very good, you're right. Yes, yep. and so it's yeah, it's, it's he he needs he needs help, and this is what the Jays went out to accomplish before the season started. That's why they acquired Bogdanovich. That's why they acquired Mike Conley. Both of and those didn't two guys today. <laughs> not available today. And so the difference between what happened today and what happened last year against the Rockets was that Donovan made his shots. Kind of funny. But it was the same problem. You say, oh, they, they, they went out and got some help for him. Well, it's kind of hard when that help doesn't play. Yeah. I mean, then you have even less that. than they had against the Rockets. Because at least Ricky Rubio would have given you some minutes on Jamal Murray. Yeah. And at least probably, Derek Favors would have given you some got, minutes yeah. on Nikola Jokic. Yeah, but he, both of them would have gotten beat just as much, probably. Oh, I disagree. I, I think oh, You think Ricky Rubio's going to stay with Jamal Murray? He, he would have done a better job than Joe Ingles. Well, I mean, okay. <laughs> what? We're talking to you. Could, you could scoff <laughs> at it, but I'm telling you, they need a better defender than Joe Ingles, so when it doesn't work with Royce, somebody else can help. Ricky Rubio would have been that guy today. So after last season, uh, the Jazz going out to get uh, uh, some help, some firepower. Uh, are you saying that this next year their number one goal should be to get them, get their hands on a, a shutdown wing defender? No, they got to trade for Kawhi Leonard, man. Get the two-way guy. <laughs> I'm just saying. Get the guy who can do both of they, them. Okay, so now the Jazz can score, but they can't stop. 
Yeah, uh, and 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 going back to before the season, uh, you, I'll accept your apology anytime because I identified that exact problem. Yeah, you kind of did. You kind of <laughs> did. You kind of did. You know, uh, but here, here today, the Jazz solved their problem without their two solutions, and still came up short. The, yeah, and and those two solutions aren't particularly strong defenders. No, they're not. So I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Maybe they would have scored even more. Yeah. I mean, uh, whether they would have won or not, who knows? Want to remind you about our friends at Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communication for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. We've been focused on jazz basketball, obviously, throughout the show, and we'll continue to do so in the 5 o'clock hour. But uh, what's going on in the Big Ten right now is an absolute mess, and I want to get your thoughts on it next, Gordon. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Show Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. We'll get back to the Jazz coming up here in just one moment. But uh, it was not a particularly good weekend, Gordon, uh, for the Big Ten. And I just want to get your thoughts. We haven't heard much of this, if at all, coming from the Pac-12. But in the Big Ten, they've had some pushback on their decision to uh, postpone, I guess is the word they're using, the uh, the football season, uh, where they've had uh, coaches like Scott Frost and Ryan Day from Ohio State uh, come out and uh, and say that uh, their teams want to play. Been ve- very uh, vocal about that. Um, we've seen uh, we've seen a petition now from Justin Fields, the quarterback at Ohio State, that has over two hundred thousand signatures on it, which seemed like a crazy number to me. Uh, talking about how he wants to play, and then today, Gordon, the Penn State athletic director said that she wasn't aware of an actual vote even taking place. Whereas then on the other side of things, Minnesota has come out there, I believe their president has uh, voiced support for the Big Ten. And the Big Ten Conference Commissioner's own son is going to be playing football at Mississippi State this fall. And it just seems like a giant mess one way or the other. You know, whether, I guess, uh, if you want to use this as a Pac-12 uh, compliment to the Pac-12, at least they've uh, whipped support in one direction or another. What's going on with the Big Ten right now, Gordon? Is a, it is a PR disaster? Yeah. Regardless of what decision was going to be made, you got to stay with it, and you've got to have a unified front as best you can. You might have some rogue coaches who are going to complain because this is a these kinds of decisions are never going to be unanimous. You know, especially with the division in the way people think these things should be handled. In this day and age. Wait, hit, hit pause on that real quick, because let me ask you this. Because according to the Pac-12, their decision was unanimous. Mm. Are you not? I, I don't know the answer to this. I have no idea. But is, is that the Pac-12 being better at PR than the Big Ten? Or do you think it really <laughs> it was be. unanimous? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know the answer to that question. But to have a, a bunch of people saying things like, well, wait a minute, there wasn't a formal vote. What the hell? I mean... How can that be? How can that be? Unless somebody at the top determined beforehand, we don't care what the vote is, this is what we're doing, but who has that power? Well, there was a theory out there, Gordon, and I, I, I'm saying it's just a theory, that the Big uh-huh. Ten was extremely vague about it to begin with because they were just testing the water. You know, how would it go if 
we do this. But then again, then they then they just but they ratified it the next Tuesday, right? Yeah. How do you so do that, that would that would fly in the face of that. But I did I did hear that again using this word that theory. That makes no sense. That makes no sense to me. I mean, I mean, sometimes things that don't make sense to me happen, and I don't know for a fact that it did or it didn't. But I'd be surprised if that were the case. You don't just this is a big big deal, and you don't just float something like that out there to see what the response will be. That's that's ridiculous. Well, I okay, if you look at it that way, yes. But look at it the way of nobody's ever done this before. Nobody knows what the right decision is. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, and, I know, and but like I said, you can't waffle with it. Oh, I agree with that 100%. But I I I guess I'm saying why I could buy into maybe the theory that they were testing it out because they are waffling internally. Mm-hmm. And so they say, "Okay, well, let's stick our toe in the water here and see what actually happens." But then, I mean, like I said, you know, the the very next Tuesday they made the official announcement. But but that's why well, the, 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 the Penn things... State athletic director comment were was so weird to me because yeah. she's coming out and saying like, "Whoa, man, we didn't." To my knowledge, the Big Ten didn't decide anything. Uh, would an athletic director know that, or would that be more? Yes, yes. You think Mark Harlan put out a statement literally ten seconds after Larry Scott made. Uh, the official the official see, announcement for the Pac-12. That, yes, a, an athletic that, director absolutely would know. That's one of the things that I have to applaud the Pac-12 with because anybody who witnessed that press conference, that news conference, uh, it was certain. It was there was any, there was no hint of waffling going on. They they had that medical guy on there, and he said, "Look, we." We looked at this long and hard, and we found out that this is the best course of action. And whether you believe that they were doing it for the good of the student-athletes or they were doing it for liability, whatever it was, the way he described it was unquestionable. I mean, it was just certain. And so for these other things to be coming out in the Big Ten, this is the very thing that you have to guard against. And like I said – there's going to be some disagreement. Not everybody's going to agree on everything, especially something as controversial as this. But you have to, you have to have that that uh, consensus from the power brokers in order to make a radical move like that. Yeah, but the Pac-12, and this is cynical me, so feel free to dismiss this. But the Pac-12 had the convenient cover of the Big Ten going first. Yeah, but so you don't think they would have done it if the Big Ten didn't? Uh, maybe eventually. I think it's convenient that the Big Ten went so the Pac-12 had a somebody to hide behind. Yeah. See, this is really tricky business right now because okay, you got you got the SEC that's playing on play, and you got the ACC that's playing on play. You got the Big Twelve, and already it's it's a bit of a fire burning because so many football fans around the country want to see their favorite teams play. And now they have to sit and apparently watch other leagues play. And if it's good enough for them, isn't it good enough for our guys too? Yeah. You know? And so that's going to, this is, and, and those, these powers that we were talking about, they should have anticipated this and they should have been prepared for it. If you're going to make that kind of decision, then be stand firm with it and make sure that you're you're making you're you're making the best decision with the best information that you have in front of you, and then you cannot waffle with it because it's already controversial. Uh, we're going to see this with 
high school football in Utah as well since they're playing it. People are wondering, wait a second, if those guys are playing, how come these guys can't play? But I'm telling you, if things go wrong, if things go south this uh, as this fall unfolds, uh, it's risky either way. You can There's a risk on the part of not playing, and then other guys are playing, and you're going, wait a second, look, those guys are playing, and we're not. But there's also the risk of those guys playing, and then guys, then kids getting sick. And so, uh, <laughs> so that's why you have to make the best decision you can with the best information and stand firm by it and move forward with it. None of this, oh, well, we didn't really know what we were doing. Come on. I know. Here's where I feel bad for the players, though. If things go south, as you say, and, and by the way, nobody is able to, is, to um, articulate exactly what that would look like to me, which is, is interesting because, again, nobody knows. But here's where I feel bad because if things go south, as you say, it certainly isn't going to be because, because somebody decided to play a football game. Uh, well, what do you mean? Uh, there are about a thousand other activities that are going to cause things to go south that are probably more carry more weight than right, a football but game. You're still, you're still sanctioning a football game that is putting people at risk, according to what your medical advisors have told you. Yeah, but I have a feeling that, uh, like, uh, let's say things went south in Provo, using your words. I would guess that the Young and Dumb Party Company would have more to do with that than the BYU football team. Well, I don't know. How do you know that? But but that's all part of because it. more people. That's are all involved. part of the reason not to do it because you can't control those things because you're not in a bubble. Well, I mean, you can control your players' uh, behavior oh, good luck. because they're they're under your wing. My my point is How? is that how are you going to control those two things are absolutely linked, and that's part of the problem. If you had a clean environment, then it wouldn't be a problem. Or you could go about your business the way the NBA is going about its business, but you can't do that with college kids. But I, I guess I'm not saying it's the it's the problem isn't the players partying. Take the players out for the parties are going to happen regardless. Right, but if they yeah, but if they so bring I'm it saying together, that that the, if there's say an outbreak on BYU's campus, it's not going to be because they decided to play a football game. It's going to be because of any number of other reasons. Oh, but that's the very reason not to play the football because that could be spread to hundreds of other people. Which it, there are occurrences that that could happen that happen hundreds or not thousands of other times on a on a college campus that has nothing yeah, to do it, with football. But it's football. all related, Jake. That's it's all tied together. That that's that's part of the reason for not doing it. But players should be under increased scrutiny than your average college student just because people happen to care about care about football. Well, it depends on how you're looking at this. I, on the on the side of good health, yes, I believe so. But I've always been more conservative in this regard than you have. The other question is the liability question, and that's that's a hard one to get out from under. I know, and it just it bugs me that now all of a sudden they're worried about liability. Convenient. What do you what do you mean? They've uh, they're well, there's about- all sorts of things about the game of football that have liability issues. And now yeah. they care, they're caring about liability? Well, some of those things they've been protected from in the past. That's why they never wanted to be employees of these players. Or employers, I'm sorry. 
Want to remind you about our friends at Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call today, 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333 at Action Plumbing. We'll get back into the jazz coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We've got NBA playoff games going on right now. Awesome. Uh, Gordon, right now the Celtics up on the 76ers, 55-49. to Earlier in the day, the Raptors beat the Nets 134-110. to uh, Real quick, uh, Gordon, I asked Sam Amick this question. Let me ask you. I, I think all the series in the Western Conference are going to be awesome for a variety of different reasons. I think there are storylines all over the place. seems to me all four in the East are duds. Is there a, is there a matchup in the East that interests you? Well, kind of that Boston Philly because there's a lot of history between those two teams. Not that it will really be played out in this particular moment, but not not really. I agree with you. I like every series in the West, every series. Boston Philly is is kind of the answer. I I guess I would I would agree with you. the The only question I have, uh, or that makes that series interesting to me, is uh, is Philly actually better without Ben Simmons? Um. Trust the process. And uh, uh, they're probably not. Gordon Hayward, by the way, getting crushed online. He's two of six. He's only got five points in 19 minutes. <laughs> uh, How dare he? J- Jason Tatum has 21. Jalen Brown has 12. Uh, but I, I actually think Boston probably wins that series pretty easily. But the rest, Gordon, the other series, I mean, Milwaukee, Orlando, is that doing it for you? No. We saw what Toronto did to Brooklyn in game one. I expect that to continue. Uh, Boston, Philly, we were just talking about. And and Indiana, Miami could possibly be interesting, but there's not a lot of panache in that series. Maybe that's my answer. That's probably going to be the best series. I suppose. But I like the ones in the West better uh, from start to finish. And I've seen some predictions that, you know that Portland can't can't really trouble the Lakers. It's a cute story and whatnot, but I, I I'm not convinced. I think every one of these series could be extremely competitive. And as far as the Jazz and the and the Nuggets go, I'm not sure. I don't know how many games it's going to take if the Nuggets win, but I I do think that each game will be like this one or similar as far as the. Uh, the uh, level nature of it. Uh, well, I, I just until the Jazz proved to me that they can win these games down the stretch. I, I don't know whether they can take this series to seven games or not. Uh, but I do think that however many games they play will be rugged, rugged affairs. I think the Jazz are going to get at least a couple. I think this Could, goes. I think it goes at least six. Yeah, that's what most of the predictions I've seen have been six games. Some say seven. I looked at what the guys over in Denver were predicting, and most of them were giving the Nuggets an edge, but it was a it was a humble edge. I mean, they so, could, they could see the danger. Are you uh, are you going chalk for all the series? Oh man, I'm gonna have to think about that a little bit. Why don't I give you that tomorrow? Because I'm, I'm I'm not. Let me let me think that through. What you're one, you're just gonna tease your chalk pick for tomorrow? <laughs> no, I just want to. If I am gonna go chalk, I want to have good reasons for it. And so I know you're gonna ridicule me one way or the no, other. No, your but. only reason is gonna be the higher they're the higher seed. <laughs> 
<laughs> We've been doing this show long enough. I know exactly. Oh. Well, they're the higher seed. Mm, let me think about it. <laughs> 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 yeah, but I do think they'll be really entertaining. And, and we love it. We love the intensity and we love the competitive nature of it all. Okay, Chalk so. Boy, let me ask you this then. <laughs> Who is more likely to have a quote unquote upset in the series, Portland or the Jazz? Who is more likely to upset the opponent? Correct. Not in one game in the series. Uh, I'd put them about equal. What a what a weak answer. <laughs> put them about equal. Don't you give me crap for doing that? Yeah, probably. Isn't that but something that, but, you criticize me for? Well, the and you come out with they're about the- equal. The fact that I'm giving the the uh, the Blazers at eight the uh, an equal chance of what the Jazz are at six when the Blazers are going up against the Lakers and the Jazz are going up against the Nugs See, I, that's quite a compliment to the once, Blazers once and again back of, to the a, seeds and it's a bit of a stretch. What's a bit of a stretch? That the that the uh, the Portland would uh, perform the way they did this year and to think that they could handle the Lakers, uh, or their chances would be just as good as the Jazz's chances. I, I think that's a fairly strong, bold statement. No. No? <laughs> probably, okay. No, Maybe I think it's, it's easy. <laughs> well, probably even. You know? I don't want to tick off the Jazz fans, but I also uh, think Portland's okay. Oh, yeah. I've never wanted to tick off any fans around here, right? That's always been my motto. I give the Jazz a better chance at, at upsetting Denver than I would Portland and the Lakers. Well, then they better learn how to close out because we haven't seen any evidence of it against this particular team this year. Well, yeah. yeah, Okay. I mean, Donovan closed out pretty well in the double overtime loss. It just ended yeah, up in a said, loss. As you said, a loss. Yeah, it just ended up in a loss. But, I mean, the way he executed in the closing minutes of the fourth quarter and the first overtime was nothing short of remarkable. I know. And if the Jazz had five Donovan Mitchells on their roster, they'd win this series. Yeah, they, probably if they had uh, Ricky Rubio and Derek Favors, they would. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, because they don't have the guys that they replaced them with. So mean they're about, unavailable. They're so mean about Rubio today. Can't believe it. What did he do to you? Did he take your parking uh, spot or something? No, I like time? Ricky Rubio. I just don't. I, I don't. You were just bagging him. on him. You were taking personal know. shots. I, I mean, you were making no. fun of his hair. Not, oh, God did not. He's got great hair. <laughs> what I said was he isn't a defensive stopper like you were making him out to He's be. Better than Joe Ingles. <laughs> Is he? The uh, in the uh, guarding Jamal Murray? Yes. Well, I mean, but that you made it all specific now. Where is this? You you always thought that Ricky Rubio was a poor defender. I've never agreed with that take. Maybe he's not Marcus Smart, but he's better than Mike Conley. I saw him doing the Olay quite a bit back in the day here. You saw him but, get but, beat but, once, and all of a sudden he's, <laughs> he's just a rusty gate out there. <laughs> the Jazz, you and I had this conversation two years ago and probably last year too about the Jazz having to learn to play better perimeter defense. It's been a problem for a while. Worse now. Yes, it is worse. Hey, there we go. We agree. All right, stay tuned. More Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.